parties are part and parcel of life in Australia. We love to celebrate and uh, we'll do it at the drop of a hat. We've got any excuse, we'll throw a party. Uh, we celebrate sporting achievements with ticket tape parades uh, down our main streets, though I'm not sure we'll be celebrating the cricket this year, uh, even though we managed to pull a win out of thin air last week in Perth. I think that might be the last of it. And the Ashes later in the year, I think they're gone. Anyway, maybe, maybe, well, if Steve Smith comes back, maybe. <laughs> We celebrate New Year's Eve. Sydney has uh, the biggest and best uh, fireworks displays in the world. If I can get this to work, there you go. Uh, familiar sight. Uh, we got the best fireworks displays in the world to go with the celebrations. Uh, it, but it's New Year. We've got a party. Uh, though when you think of it, New Year really is a funny reason to celebrate because it's just some numbering system that we made up with an arbitrary starting time. We might as well have picked the 13th of August or the 27th of October to start the New Year. I mean, we're celebrating doing one lap of the sun. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, I almost did a lap of Ingleburn jogging this morning. That was something to celebrate, although I died on the way back. Anyway, that's... Yeah, and I only made it because someone was behind me who was walking at the same pace that I was running. But anyway, uh, and he's going, you can go a bit further. <laughs> good, yeah, good. Anyway, uh, what, what else do we celebrate? As a nation, we celebrate the day that convicted criminals started to inhabit this nation. Yeah, uh, we call it Australia Day. And so we have some more fireworks. There you go. Uh, uh, we take a day off work for the Queen's birthday. Uh, even though we haven't seen her in some years. And we have even more fireworks. On a personal level, we have birthdays. We celebrate weddings. We celebrate moving into a new house with housewarming parties. We celebrate getting a new job. Uh, some of us celebrate when we get to the front of the queue at the supermarket before the person in aisle three. Uh, but have you noticed that the two biggest celebrations each and every year on both a national level and on a personal level, are both religious. In fact, they're more than religious, they're both Christian. They're Christmas and Easter. For both of them, we have not just one but two public holidays to celebrate them. Uh, we, we stuff ourselves with food. For both of them, we travel across the city or even across the country to spend time with family who we don't see any other time, uh, who we might not even get on with very well. And when it comes to Christmas, we'll swelter in the kitchen with uh, you know, to roast the ham and the pork and the, the turkey, even though it's stinking hot. There's presents for everyone. There's food. There's tinsel and decorations. Crowds of strangers get together to sing songs. We saw that uh, just last weekend at uh, our uh, Christmas carols here. Uh, as uh, people walk around and look at each other's houses in a way they haven't done for the rest of the year and see all the lights and the things that are out the front. Uh, uh, we wish each other a merry time. We do secret Sanders at work uh, and we're generally friendlier to each other than any other time of the year. As a nation, we spend billions of dollars celebrating Christmas. It's so big now that it takes us three months to get everything ready. Unless you're a cheapskate, in which case it takes you a year to get ready because you use the January sales to buy the Christmas presents for next year. What used to be a day is now the Christmas season. But why? Why is it so big? Why, why do we celebrate it at all? It's not like anyone in the community can actually really remember why. Is it cultural imperialism? 
Is it just ethnic superiority? You know, we got here and we're just stamping kind of English ways on the nation. Is it because it's our heritage? Why? Why do we celebrate Christmas so hard? We party really hard. Well, you'd think that MacArthur Square and Westfield Shopping Centre should be able to tell us because they've got their little shrines to Christmas all set up and they go to a lot of effort to help us to get to party. The shopping centres, what do they tell us why we celebrate Christmas? Well, it's because this is the time of year of magic. Uh, It's the magic of Christmas. It's all about Santa coming down the chimney, but only for the good boys and girls, not the naughty ones. It's about sleigh bells ringing and dreaming of white Christmas with snow fights and snowmen and reindeer, even though it's very hot outside. And it's about wishes coming true. It's about family. Oh, and it's about them making a truckload of money. But if you look very carefully, even at MacArthur Square down at Campbelltown, tucked away under the escalator on the bottom level next to the toilets is a strange little thing that they call a nativity scene, which is a very strange name for it. I mean, what's it got to do with natives anyway? I mean, I've always wondered why is it called a nativity scene? But but anyway, you've got a rudimentary stable with some sheep and some cattle, uh, maybe a donkey, some shepherds, maybe a little drummer boy tapping away. There's three kings who are kneeling before a mum and a dad and a little baby. And over the whole thing is this nice star, twinkling star, perhaps an angel as well. That's the, the traditional or the biblical Christmas. Uh, perhaps you've even got a nativity set at home that you've set up. Uh, we've had several given to us over the last few years, maybe because we're the minister, maybe, I don't know, uh, we've got the knitted one and we've got the wooden one and we've got the, anyway, we've got the magnetic one for the fridge. Anyway, uh, here's some interesting versions I found online of the nativity scene. Here's, here's the Lego nativity scene. There you go, that's the cheap set. There's also the full-blown big one with lots of other animals and things as well. Uh, there's the hipster nativity scene. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there you go, found that one. Uh, Star Wars nativity scene. I'm not sure how R2-D2 ended up being the baby. And I'm really not sure why the Emperor's on top and why Darth Vader's hanging out in the background. Uh, and my personal favourite, the meat nativity scene. <laughs> Anyone got that at home, ready for tomorrow? It wouldn't last the whole of Christmas at my place. Uh, there you go, some interesting variations. They're funny. But... But you know what the real funny thing is about nativity scenes? Almost all of them are wrong. There's no animals mentioned in the Bible accounts at all. In fact, there's not even a stable. It's more likely to have been a cave that they were in in the backyard of the hotel. Uh, You could imagine a manger might have been in a cave, but the manger wouldn't have been a wooden one. That's a very Western, modern thing. Uh, the little drummer boy's about as real as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The three kings, turns out they weren't kings, they were astrologers, you know, and their Bible's against astrology, but they turned up for the celebration. And the Bible certainly doesn't say how many there were. What we're told is that they visited Jesus in a house, and it was about two years later. He was a toddler. We know that because King Herod ordered the deaths of all the boys under two. And you thought you knew the real story of Christmas because we not only manufactured Santa Claus and the elves, we've also somehow managed to manufacture a nice version of Christmas where Jesus always stays a baby and never grows up 
and we certainly never have to be confronted by his teaching or by the fact that he came to conquer sin and death and to call everyone in this world to repentance and faith. But the one thing the nativity scene does get right, even if it's the meat one or the Star Wars one, is that it's about the birth of a baby boy. Christmas is a time to celebrate, to get down on the party because a little boy was born. Not any little boy, any baby is a reason to celebrate in your family, but this is a baby who's for the whole world. A boy whose name in Hebrew means God will save. That's what his name means. But that still doesn't answer why. Why should we celebrate? Why celebrate the birth of Jesus? Well, this evening I just want to look at the, uh, one of the accounts of the birth of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel and just pull out two reasons why we should party. Reason number one is because of a title he was given. It was promised beforehand and he was named that. Jesus is God with us. See, Jesus isn't just a messenger from God. He's not an angel. He's not a teacher. He's not a prophet. He's not just another of the wise men. Jesus is able to make God known because Jesus is God. We celebrate Christmas because God was born as a man, that he might live amongst us. You know the words of the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angel Sings. You know, pleased as man to man, with man to man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He truly is God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means, God with us. But he's also truly a man. God become a man. God with us as a man, as a man with us to dwell. 800 years previously, Isaiah prophesied that someone would come who would be called Emmanuel, who would be God with us. And that was in our first reading. And then he went on in our second reading that 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 baby would also be called Wonderful Counselor. He would be called Mighty God. He would be called Everlasting Father. He would be called the Prince of Peace. And Matthew's Gospel tells us that's exactly who Jesus is. Matthew 1 verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Everyone has their ideas about God about whether God is there or not, whether he's a he or a she or an it or a they, whether there's one God or multiple gods and goddesses, whether there's just one big great cosmic force that binds all things together, like in Star Wars, or if there's a rational mind behind the universe. And all sorts of people and all sorts of groups and all sorts of nations have come up with this answer or that answer as to what God might be like. But it is all just speculation. It's projecting what they want God to be. Then there's the arrogance of those who like to pray pretend that there's no God at all, who really just don't want to be held accountable to anyone for their lives. And they come up with pseudo-intellectual reasons to justify themselves rather than look at any real evidence. And then there's the completely ludicrous Australian view that there's only what's true for you. You believe in that God, that's fine. You, you believe this God, lucky you. God's just a subjective thing. All that matters is that we have faith in something. They're all truth claims about God. But you know what? All of it's just speculation until you come face to face 
with God or until he comes face to face with you. And if Jesus is God with us, which he is, in the end, all guessing, it, it ends all the making up, it ends all the ridiculous fantasies, it ends all speculation of human creation. If he turns up, the fact that he's turned up just ends all the debate. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us so that we can know exactly what God is like. We can know exactly what God's on about. We can know exactly what God does. He promised to come and then he did it. God has been here. But you might wonder then, why would God want to turn up here on earth? Why would he want to come and be with us? Was he just lonely? You know, needed to get out for a bit. Uh, was he wondering what was going on? He's, he likes the goss and he's got to find out for himself because he doesn't know otherwise. Did he want a bit of a sticky beak? Did he just want to stretch his legs? Uh, or, you know, maybe he just wanted someone to talk to. It's nothing like that. Matthew gives us the answer and it's all tied up with the name they were to give the baby. Jesus' name, Jesus. He'll be called Emmanuel, which is a title, but his name will be Jesus. That's what Mary and Joseph are told to call him. You are to give him the name Jesus. Now, if we all spoke Greek, that might make sense why he would be called that, but I suspect most of us don't. Because Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. There you go. Does that make any more sense now? Uh, and when you translate Joshua or Jesus into English or Jesus into English, it means God saves. God saves. Uh, and you don't have to take my word for it. It's there in the footnote at the bottom of the page. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. There you go. I can read too. There you go. And Mary and Joseph are told exactly why they're to call him that in verse 21. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's the second reason Jesus came. And it's even more incredible reason to celebrate. Jesus was born to save us from our sins. Now that might sound like a trivial thing, something that we say to each other, the Sunday school kind of thing. But it's not trivial at all. It's, it's not a matter of harmless indifference, what we make of God or what we make up about him. All the stuff that you hear on TV or the magazines about how people are really spiritual at heart and we really all want to find out God and know the truth. It's a lie. The Bible teaches that we all in our hearts and our minds push God away and say we don't want to know him. We, we despise him. We don't care that he made us. We don't want to know about the true God who's there. We want things our own way. And the reason that people and groups and nations, including our own, have made up our views of God is to avoid the reality. It's not to discover the reality. It's to avoid reality. We want to domesticate the spiritual realm so that God or the gods become servants of us and we can get on and do what we like. We want manageable, controllable spirituality, even if it's the utter hopelessness of atheism, because at least then there's no accountability at all. We don't want to have to thank God or glorify God or have to live for God in any way. We prefer very much that he keep his distance and stay at arm's length if we have to tolerate him at all. And, and it all comes from a nature that's been warped, that's been distorted by what the Bible calls sin. 
The Bible puts it this way elsewhere in the book of Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. We swapped our God for fakes, even if that fake is ourselves. And the result of that is we just live how we want. We do what we want. We become utterly selfish. We start to throw our weight around because that's what happens when we don't care who or what God truly is. And we end up living out our own foolish fantasies. And it's utterly destructive in our lives as we, we cause pain and misery as all our relationships suffer. Because when I want to be God and you want to be God, who's going to be God when we meet? And so we clash and nations war against each other and families disintegrate. It's why Christmas family gatherings are so miserable. They, so many families' Christmases end in tears, don't they? In this country, domestic violence rates go up 35% at Christmas. I met someone on, yeah, yesterday uh, who came to church for the first time. I said, what do you do? She said, I'm a nurse. I said, that's a terrible job to have around Christmas time. He said, you're telling me? I said, which hospital are you? She said, I'm not at a hospital. I'm in a retirement home. I said, well, that'd be all right then. You wouldn't have the fighting and the violence. She said, everyone's punching each other in the face at the RSL nursing home up at Austral. And it's only three years old. People have only been living there for two years. And they hate each other. And it comes out at Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? And worse than the damage that we do to each other is the fact that it's all going to come crashing down on us in the end because we all die which puts an end to our rebellion and brings us into judgment. But God has come. And he's not come just to, uh, so that we might know him and truly know him, although we can do that. But he's come to save us from all that, to save us from our foolishness, to save us from our stubbornness, to save us from our substituting our own ideas of God for the truth, to save us from sin and all of its dreadful consequences of godlessness and death and judgment. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is, he came out of love. He came out of mercy. He came to save us when by rights we'd all be lost in our treason. Because when you boil it down, sin in the end is just treason. But he came not to destroy us for our treason. He came to save us from it. And the way he did it was in a way that no human mind could have come up with a way formed in the mind of God, the only way it could be done in the end, a way that would be completely fair and deal with the punishment and wrath of God, but in a way that would also bring about his complete love and mercy and, and take us out of harm's way. You think, that's, how do you be completely fair and loving at the same time? You think about it even in your family. How do you be completely fair but also loving? It's really hard when one has hurt the other one how do you love them both and still be fair in every religious scheme one side sacrificed at the expense of other but God came to save us from our sins by taking the punishment himself for our rebellion that's what he came to do that was the only way it could be done by dying for us that is the only way he could save us from our sins to pay 
for us, to die in our place. Any other way would fail. For to forgive us without the punishment of death would be to fail to treat our treason as treason. Our sin would mean nothing. What, what would you say to the victim of crime or the family of a murder victim or to the Holocaust survivor if God was just going to go, eh, nothing matters, just everyone's here, it doesn't matter, I love everyone. No, God must be righteous and deal righteously with us. But if he doesn't take the justice himself, then we'd all die in our sins, in our treason. And so God, in order to love us and appease his just wrath against us, came to die. And that is the greatest gift of all a straight swap god pays for you god pays for you god pays for you to have you back he pays by the death of his son it's astonishing isn't it god would die for you to save you and to have you back into his family and because he's done that when we trust him when we take him at his word that it's all been dealt with when we come to him in faith and receive that gift that changes everything god is no longer our enemy but our friend we don't have to be lonely anymore because he's with us all the time by his spirit even if no one else is life is no longer meaningless it's full of joy and hope and purpose in him and best of all we no longer have to be anxious about where we stand with god in eternity We are his forever. We can know where we're going after this life. And so my question to you this evening is, have you trusted him for that? Have you come to him in gratitude and faith? Because that's how you receive this greatest gift of all, sins forgiven, saved by Jesus, restored to God both now and forever. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate That's why it's right and proper that the two greatest celebrations every year are Christmas and Easter. Not because of our cultural heritage, as great as that is. Not because of ethnic superiority. Not because of some sort of imperialism. Not even just because we like to party as Australians and that gives us a good excuse. But because this is the greatest thing in the world to celebrate. God came to save us god came to save you and that is something really worth celebrating and i pray that this christmas god might grant you the true joy not only of a day off or two days off as the case is or feasting with family and friends and hopefully it's a happy one and not a big fight but the true joy of knowing your sins forgiven and having a new start with god because that truly would be a merry christmas Merry Christmas.